Welcome to NAFA's Inner Circle, a show where we talk to industry insiders like actors, directors, cinematographers, producers, all presented by the New England International Film Awards. With us today, we have a senior producer that does behind-the-scenes content for shows like Good News Week, So You Think You Can Dance, Recruits, Master Chef, and many other network properties. Simon Smithers, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Who are you? Where do you come from? What have you done? Well, I was born in London, in the UK, way back in 1963. And when my parents moved to Australia, they had this thing called a 10-pound import, where you paid 10 pounds and you could emigrate to Australia, the land of excitement. It was fascinating because I was this little child of five traveling to Australia and we landed in Singapore and I was, we just left winter and it was so cold. And when we landed in Singapore, I nearly died from the heat. It was just overwhelming. And then we land in Australia and we walk out onto the tarmac and the skies are so huge and it's blue and the sun's burning you and you go, my God, what have I got myself into? But it's turned out pretty well. I absolutely love it. So that's where I came from. That's my kind of origin. How did I get into the film industry? Well, from a teenager, my mother was working at a very venerable educational institution in Australia called the Australian Film and Television School. And that's where the likes of Jane Campion, all these amazing Australian film and TV um, directors and editors and producers came from. I was this 15-year-old getting dragged into this, this film school and I was acting, I was helping, I was running leads. And so I got my taste for the film industry there. And then what happened, when I was uh, 17 and I was just finishing my schooling, I thought, you know, what do I want to do? Well, Dad said to me, Simon, you've got to be an accountant. You have to have something to fall back on. And I go, Dad, I hate mathematics. I, I despise it. <laughs> this anymore and so i started my i started my first year in accountancy and i went from top of the class in economics to bottom of the class at university because i was out there with the camera and i was starting parties i was on the student council and i thought i've got to get into film i've got to get into film because i was always making these little little dodgy films on super 8 and and in Mm. those video cameras were a backpack they're like you had to carry this thing and lace up the tape and then keep reusing the tape and it was huge so i had the bug from a very early age so then my wow. mother this is where my mom comes in everybody's uh-huh. mother should come into the, their origin of story. course of course everybody she my mother she worked at the film school and an editor called don saunders was leaving and because in the film school they only give you a four-year contract so they keep it fresh mm-hmm. and there's a coming to and he'd just been working with a famous film Australian film director called Henri Safran who'd done in this in 76 uh, a film called Storm Boy that became an iconic it's a, a, about a boy and he and a pelican it's kind of a very earthy natural story so it was I got to work with this fantastic editor that's where I started working with film actual physical mm-hmm. film. hundreds of thousands of feet of film Everybody loves the thought of being in film, but the actual physically working with film, it's a nightmare. There's millions of feet of this stuff. It's acetate. You pull it through your fingers, it gives you shocks or it can give you a cut or you've got to lift it and wind it and put it in trim bins and then you cut a little sprocket out and you're missing it. So you've got to 
recreated it. And yeah, yeah. so like, I had the whole film experience, which I'm really blessed with. And now I can say without a doubt, I am a digital boy. I love the new digital tools. Well, I, I must say I was born in the late 90s. I, I remember like when I was like three or four, I, I also loved taking pictures. And I remember doing the film cameras um, that you had to replace film and those types of things. And they would get tangled and so annoying, so annoying. I love looking at all the behind the scenes on all these big movies. You know, I just finished uh, Oppenheimer and watching the behind the scenes on that. They were using the massive, uh, I forgot the name of the film camera now, but it's a massive camera and it's huge. And I'm going IMAX. I'm going yeah. oh, 70 mil, you know, and I actually got a job on an Australian film as an assistant editor using 70 mil. It's the, the reels are like, you know, 25 kilos and you've got to lift them up and put them onto the projector. And there was no way to cut it in those days. So we had wow. to figure out a way to write a software program that would take the key number from the side of the film and then transfer the film with a video camera and sync the mm. video camera to the projector and then create an edit list. And so we were doing it on pneumatic, old pneumatic tape to tape editing for a 70 mil film. Whereas yeah. Uh, they used to, we did that because it was a, a budgetary constraint where people would get the 70 mil converted to 35 mil work print or a 16 mil work print and, and then you could do it the old-fashioned way with the old-fashioned film editing. It's really ironic because I also, like a few days ago, finished watching Oppenheimer, three hours of film. I remember when it first came out, I was looking at, at Instagram videos about these gigantic buckets of film that would need a special projector. And then a lot of the early projections ended up crashing in the middle of the film because it was so overwhelming. Yeah, there's sits on a huge platter and mm -hmm. it, has, it has to be carried in. I mean, in the old days when we used to edit in film and we were working in, say, news, you would have film and you'd have to get it into the playback. There was a thing called a telecine where it takes film and it creates into video. So what we mm -hmm. would do, we had the film in a trim bin, we're feeding it into the telecine, it's going live to air. And so we're like... <laughs> I Look, I salute those amazing directors who know film and love to play with film. I've dealt with film my whole life, but I choose to deal with film, with digital. I was very fascinated by the creator of the recent film out, watching how they made it. They were using really cost-effective cameras that were still, you know, 4K and shooting those mm. for all these scenes and then adding it in post. So the majority of that then happened in post-production where they were taking all these beautiful plates that they'd shot overseas in Asia and then add all these amazing science fiction elements. It was just really empowering. I really thought that was amazing. You were also the producer of a documentary style film, kind of a journey film as well, called The World of Difference. So we'll go ahead and take a sneak peek. Push beyond the boundaries and go the distance. A cycling journey so demanding. From Sydney to Bustleton, Western Australia. Over 4,000 kilometres in 26 days. It takes passion, commitment, endurance and incredible mental fortitude. It takes sample art, musician, cyclist and triathlete pursuing his extraordinary dream. 
wow, 4,000 kilometers. That's a really far <laughs> distance, really far. What was it like to be involved in this project? It was, it was incredibly challenging. It was fun. It was dangerous as, I mean, insanely dangerous. It was grueling. It was hot, it was cold, it was wet, but it was a really tight crew. This came to us from Sam Pollard. He was uh, moving overseas and he wanted to see the country. And he goes, I've got to go to Bustleton. Now, we live in Sydney, which is on the East Coast. And Western Australia, Bustleton is on the West, <laughs> it's on the west Coast. It's yeah. thousands of kilometres the other side. And you literally cross the whole of Australia from east to west. So he decides he's not going to just put his bike in a plane or train and drive or fly it over. He's going to ride his bike to Bustleton to, to then oh, wow. an Ironman. I thought a 4,000 miles bike ride from coast to coast in Australia is crazy. I mean, on top of that, you're adding an Ironman to it. I'm like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> yes. So, so Sam, Sam rode the whole way and we took two support riders. Patrick Legg and, and Nick Gilbert, and they would ride with him, you know, and sometimes we'd use the van to help slipstream if the wind was, like, um, blowing emus over and kangaroos flying past. So, you know, we tried to protect the riders as much as possible. But there's that one incident that you showed in the film, in the little trailer there, and it was Australia has really big trucks. Everything is big in Australia. Mm. The landscape, <laughs> the, the animals and the trucks they have like two or three trailers on this one truck because it's a gun barrel road and they don't slow down. And there's trucks going either side on both roads, on both mm -hmm. single lane, like a dual lane, so single lane highway. So you've got one road going one way, one going the other way. Trucks are passing, you know, like that. And these guys have got six inches to ride on the side of the road. So, and the trucks come up, boom, 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 boom. And they get pelted with bits of rock and tire and pushed off into the bush. And oh, it, just, it is so dangerous. Touch wood, we're really lucky. Everybody made it. I bet those those bikes are very, very light. Have a gigantic truck going, what, 50, 100 kilometers an hour or something like that? And uh, making all that headway. Absolutely 100 kilometers an hour, missing them by inches. And the wind pulls them in, so they have to lean out, and then it goes, and then they have to pull over and into the dirt. Must be scary. Yeah, and it's scary watching, going, oh, my God, there's a truck coming. What do I do? You can't do anything. And they had that quite consistently. Were you riding behind them in a car, or how was the, the film process? I mean, it's like I'm guessing as somebody in, in a motorcycle with a camera. Yeah. So what, what we did is I, I basically produced it, got it all out of the ground, did all the deals, mm -hmm. get it bought from the camper van hire. We got a camper van so that we, they could at least have a really good place to rest and so that they could recover. We basically camped. There was a fantastic crew. I took along a co-director, Robin Newell, who this wouldn't happen without Robin's direction. He did some amazing work out there and setups. And Robin took the opportunity to take his motorbike. He just could not wait to get out on his bike on the road. So he was riding a motorbike and he, we had our cameraman, Peter uh, Rothwell, Rocky, calling. So Rocky was on the back of the bike riding along next to Sam. And that's how we got a lot of those great shots. And then, you know, there's in each individual town, there's always something you can see. Like there was this giant ant spider at one place or there was a hole in the ground here or there was the golf course where they went and played golf uh, 
you know, there's so many of those that were just hysterical. Good old, you know, good old Patrick Legg and, and Nick Gilbert, they just, they made it hysterical. They were just so funny. Yeah, it was definitely a, a great film. I've never been personally to Australia. That's one of the countries that I really want to go visit. I'm from Texas. We, My family moved from Mexico City to, to Houston, to Texas. So I'm kind of used to uh, the heat, but I bet in Australia is even hotter. And the creatures, the you know, the snakes, the spiders, the big ants might be a, a bit different. Uh, yeah, Texas wild has <laughs> got the rattlesnakes there, and it's definitely got the heat in Death Valley. Australia is multiple seasons in one day. Yeah. We were particularly worried about heading across the Nullarbor Plain, which is right in the middle. And the Nullarbor Plain is the it's a big desert, and we thought, you know, this is going to be horrendous. They got there and it was windy and a little bit of rain. They go, and the wind was pushing them along. It was the easiest section. The right. first day, the very first day, was it nearly didn't continue because in Sydney we have this huge mountain range called the Blue Mountains. And Sydney is on a plain from the coast. So we set off from the Opera House, rode down the, the major roads to the Blue Mountains. And then there's a, there's a climb up several, you know, uh, over about 1,100 metres or so quite high and they had to wind their way up that and halfway up the hill it rained so they started off in sunshine they're wearing their you know their lycra and pedaling along with their, their, their bikes it rained and sam got hypothermic so we had to double back quickly get him into the van and warm him up we camped there that night and he recovered well but it was really close the very first night the very first day first day was also incredibly difficult because like 50, 20 k's into the ride first puncture you have to stop fix the, fix the bike but otherwise they performed pretty well you had a couple more punches but you know it wasn't until another yeah. another thousand kilometers before we got the next puncture well i mean when i when i was little i did some nothing compared to what sam did i also remember getting some tire punctures literally the worst nightmare in a marathon because it like stands you still for for a bit that's really really scary specifically when you put that into those big scary trucks going 100 kilometers an hour i mean how did this project begin did you know sam before it was created by uh, damien riley and one of his clients was sam this is his musician says Damien looks after his music. Now, Sam said that he wanted to go ride across Australia and then Damien pitched the idea of let's let's do a documentary on it. Mm. Sam liked the idea and then Damien brought me on to, to produce it. That's how it came about. What was it like collaborating with, with your entire team? I mean, you, you produce it. I'm sure you put hats uh, like the direct, director, producer, all that stuff. As a producer, you need to know when to step in you need to know when to mm -hmm. step you always have the crew you like to work with you know i've worked with rocky for many many years i've worked with robin for many many years i trust those guys implicitly they're independent and those two work together really well that allows me to deal with the things like you know finding the finding the location finding the campsites because right. it's, it's on the fly you don't know where you're going to stop and start when they're getting close to a town i would scoot ahead and, and try and find a good place go and set up the place so that when sam came in and the bike riders came in and then they had the place to camp. Didn't have to set up the tents. I'd set up the tents so that Rocky had and Robin and everybody, you know, 
it's just a really tight team. That's why you couldn't do it with a massive film crew. You know what I mean? It's just logistically too difficult. It was so agile. It's such a tiny crew that we got away with it and it just, everybody fell into their tasks. There was one hysterical, stressful time. Rocky did a brilliant job camera operating, but we couldn't find a camera card that had the day's rushes. We stopped and we pulled the van apart and we looked everywhere and we finally found it underneath. We had to pull the van apart and take the table out and it was wedged underneath the table where we were all sitting down to have dinner. So it was, it mm. fell from the pocket and landed underneath the table and got kicked underneath one of the benches and got, oh my God, what a relief. Because you, <laughs> you, you all lived throughout the process of this film or at least taping it through so many close calls like Sam with, with, with the gigantic trucks. But what was the absolute worst thing that you encountered or the hardest thing that or hardest challenge in making this? I think the hardest challenge was definitely getting up in the morning after they'd done 200 and up to 280 kilometers in a day, knowing for well that they were going to do another 200 plus kilometers. I think it's trying to keep the athletes in physical fitness there was lots of taping there was lots of icing there was you know making sure they had the proper diet making sure that you know they had the great place to sleep so it's it's looking after the athletes because they're your story the film work it happened because the team robin and rocky were just solid i could just trust them and leave them to do what they needed to do but then when it got to the end we had 26 days worth of rushes that had to be gone through and compiled and you know so that was, that was about three to six months worth of post-production. What was really helpful is that Sam sat down and showed us his vision. And then I went and tweaked it and enhanced it and, you know, started to do teasers and playoffs and credits mm. together. Make it, make it into a, a series. And then we, we, once we cut the whole series, we cut that series down then in, into a one film. So we had, with the same material, we, we managed to get five properties, four episodes and one movie. I've used that a few times. It's a great mechanism for filming. How long is each episode? About 25 minutes. What does it feel like? I mean, we're a completely new festival. You essentially inaugurated the festival with your official selection. What is that like? Well, one, always an honor to get a festival recognition. I go, oh my God, we've got a festival and we did really well in it. And I go, brilliant. You know, it's recognition of all the hard work and all the team's hard work. Filmmaking is really a team effort. It doesn't happen without the talent. It doesn't happen without the camera. It doesn't happen without the sound. It doesn't happen without the director and directors. It doesn't happen without the producer guiding and providing. I see my role as enabling those gentlemen to be able to do what they do best. Sam didn't have to think about anything. Here's the funny thing about Nick. Nick hadn't got on a bike for 18 months before he rode across Australia. <laughs> he walks wow. up two kilos heavier, jumps on a push bike and rides across. I mean, he was a professional athlete before. He'd mm. drop out and then he'd come back in again. It was fantastic. I was, I was saying, and Patrick was this muscle-bound therapist who was keeping Sam and everybody in one piece. That's crazy. I mean, absolutely. I completely, uh, 100% agree with you. The team behind you is the most important factor of whether a project is going to be successful or not. Really, the passion and the experience, all those things just working in unison, which is absolutely phenomenal. Having everybody know their specific parts 
is it's just wonderful but i mean you have a lot of experience in working in hollywood sets and working in other studio sets the big studio set what what was the difference between working in those controlling all the lighting let's say to really not having the ability to control the so much of the lighting because you're filming outside in in nature yeah they're, they're totally different in terms of a controlled feature film, a documentary that's revealing the story. Mm -hmm. A feature film is really scripted and it's locked down and it has to be that way because, you know, you need to get everything in place. You need the locations, you need the sets, you need the actors, you need the lighting, you need rips and all that sort of stuff. So there's, there's a large support crew around that and everybody in that crew has their lane. They sit in, they work, and then at the helm of that, is the director and the director has their vision and depending on their style of direction how they are is how they work with the crew you know they might be a less technical director so they're not looking at the lighting and how they've got their lighting mm -hmm. or the camera shots or they were the writer that wrote it if they're bringing the word to the spring the word and they're then they already have the images in their head then they then try to get that out and they bring their crew in. so you know film crews are really really cumbersome huge beasts that need to be sort of like herded like cats in a direction that's why you need a really highly trained cat that's all, a way to put it it's true because there's all these all these egos and this creativeness and you've got to you've got to really bring that together and you've got to be able to listen and you've got to be able to dictate and you've got to be able to take it in the direction that you see it when you're directing something like that. And then there's the producer who's sitting there going, oh my God, I've got to get the, where's the that funny? And they want this extra shot and that's going to be overtime. And you know, they have a whole different approach. And then, then there's the post-production element. Bigger films, it has a huge post-production crew because it has usually the post is is collapsed because they're starting to run, like in terms of time, they run out of money because it's all gone to getting on screen unless it's a heavy duty vfx film if it's just a if it's a just a drama then they're sitting there just cutting it but if it's a vfx film then it's got to shots have got to get full they've got to do the vfx that's got to be managed that's a whole nother ball game. world of difference was totally opposite to all that it's going oh sam's going to bustleton let's follow him what happens oh my god trucks there's one scene where they're chasing this spider that's about that big ah uh, i remember that <laughs> Yeah. They're, they're not poisonous. They just give you a little little bite. They're not too bad. I mean, I've I've never been to Australia, so seeing uh, those gigantic spiders kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> well, in my old house in the North Shore, I got woken up one night by the cat going crazy. Wandered down the hall, go into my son's room. There's a snake. <laughs> Cats whacking the snake. It was a poisonous red-bellied black snake that's about, you know, Ooh. this and I've gone, oh my God. So I pulled out my, um, pulled out the bucket and spade and I went into the room and I rescued it, dropped it into the bucket, put a towel over it. I took it into the kitchen and I woke everybody up and showed them. We lifted off the lid and its head came out. And my kid jumped, screamed and ran and I laughed and then we threw it out the back. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. There's um, so many in Australia. It's a wonderful place. There's lots of wildlife and it tends to like to share the cities with us and i'm okay with that that's great and i mean what what was it like filming in in the outback 
because I mean, I bet it's completely different. I mean, just the climate very different than Sydney. Yeah, uh, look, it's all different and it changes, and it depends on the season. Uh, depends on the day. You can go from like we did in Sydney and go from thirty-five degrees down to about ten degrees and rain and sleet and up in the mountains. You come up the mountains, the temperature goes down. You get to the mm -hmm. other side and then it heats up. You can be standing in the sun and you're really uncomfortably hot and then you go and move into the shade and you cool off. So it depends on the, the weather. I mean, the weather is the thing. But then the weather is part of the show. Like I think if you remember, mm -hmm. we're in sun and the next day they're zipping up, you know, with all their wet weather gear and riding in the rain and the spray everywhere. So you know, it's, it's all part of the journey. So growing up, if you had any, who were your influencers? Like, who did you look up to either as, a, you know, acting or producing or uh, directing? Well, I haven't grown up yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> but when I do, I'll let you know. But absolutely, I was lucky enough when I started in the film industry, I was working at a place called Spectrum Films. It was in a place called Willoughby in Sydney. And all of the Australian film productions were finished there. And mm at that place and so you walk out and uh, I got to work with Peter Weir he was my hero he was my hero before I met him and then I met him and he is even better when I met him he is just such a, an intelligent auteur he was deeply thoughtful deeply caring and amazing director it was great to see how he worked. His first film, like Mosquito Coast, went from 23 10-minute reels and then was cut down. Mm. So, you know, wow. it's, it's the director's cut is massive and then they have to distill it. And that's where I learned the passion for editing. Not I didn't get to cut with Peter, I was an assistant. And later on, when I got to work with other directors, I, I was just fascinated with the director-editor relationship. It's, it's pivotal, you know. All directors have their editor editing crew that they like to work with because they're in sync. You know, they cut the way they know how they feel, and they can then sit there and then they can go through the process. And then there's the yeah. final. So I've done all. I've done wow. most stuff. I've been a location recordist. I've, I, on World of Difference, I shot some stuff a little bit, but mostly Rocky. On my all my other stuff, I love the autonomy of being able to write it, produce it, direct it, and edit it. Always tend to like to bring a shooter in because I love the collaboration between that. That's how I like to work. Autonomy is everything. You asked earlier, what's it like to work in the big crew? You're in your lane and you have your job and you just have to focus and you have to be really good at it and it's a service. And that's okay. I've done a lot of that. They're the client, you've got to deliver. Mm -hmm. For me, in my time of life, I like the autonomy. I like my time, myself, to sit and reflect and I'll sit down and I'll smash away for hours at the script. Or I'll smash away. And currently I'm working my butt off to get a, an eight-episode eight series out. So it's, that finishes March next year. For me personally, being a co-founder of, of a festival, like for, for us to essentially create a festival from absolute scratch, our first year took quite a bit. But now I'm working also on a feature, writing a feature. We are finishing up the teaser for the feature so then we can raise funds and then after a pre-production production and post-production go on to distribution so that's completely new to me but i i love it i love it it's really fun i've, I've been learning a lot what's next for simon what what do you have in the works are you working on any current projects yeah the current project i'm working on is uh, an eight-part series on the life of bond scott the ACDC. My dad loves ACDC. Here's, 
I hear he's a bit of a, an icon, Mr. Bon Scott. <laughs> yeah, we're, we've we've been working on that. Started that back in 2015, just after after uh, World of Difference. We did some shooting then, and then we parked it for a few years. And then in the last few years, uh, we raised the capital to finish it. And we've been mm-hmm. doing a whole lot more, travelling around Australia to meet all of those who knew him, back to his old school friends, and getting getting a side that not many people know. He was actually in the business from 1965 as a Beatles club, doing a Beatles cover band, and then worked his way through it. He really did live the hard road to get to where he was. That's the current. Uh-huh. We purchased the rights to Irene Thornton, Bond's wife, mm-hmm. her book, and we're going to adapt that into a film in the next bunch of time. <laughs> as you found out, film takes a long time to get up. And yes, get up. yes, it does. And a lot of dedication, a lot of work, a lot of persistence. You just have to keep on keeping on as my acting teacher uh, kept telling me because there, there was times where I was like, oh, I suck. I don't, I don't want to do this. And she just, that quote stuck in my head, keep on keeping on. So that always keeps me motivated and going. But the festival, the New England International Film Awards, our mission essentially is to educate as many upcoming filmmakers, you know, student filmmakers. I mean, we're in Boston, where there's over 90 schools within like a 10 mile radius, which is insane amount of amount of schools. So there's a lot of students, there's a lot of film students, there's a lot of student productions, a lot of them. What would you tell them if they asked, how do I get started? Yeah, uh, well, there's two things I'd like to say to that. Firstly, I, when I was back as a student, I went to this film, it was a session and this filmmaker was telling us how to make film. And he, I've forgotten his name because I'd like to quote it, but I do remember what he said. And he said, do random acts of kindness and don't tell anyone because that way you earn a bucket load of good karma so that when you make a film, you lose it all and you've got to start again. So I thought... (laughs) It's a great cycle, by the way. Yeah, so it's a great way. And I've lived by that for a long time. So be a nice person. Be a really good person. Be really helpful. But don't let people run over the top of you. It's okay to say no. And when you're nice all the time and you suddenly say... Nope. People go, hey, hang on. Very useful. Read. Read a lot about. Watch a lot of. It's fantastic these days that the big films are adding the behind the scenes. I still watch the behind the scenes. Go, oh, oh, me too. Me too. It's your justification. You say, yeah, it's okay. I'm doing the right things. And then lastly, I would say, it's a long haul. My daughter was an Olympic gymnast and her coach said to her. Really? My sister was a gymnast. And that's one of the hardest sports in the world. It smashes them. People competing in it are really difficult. They're all focused on themselves and their direction. And so the coach said this amazing thing, and I've taken that to heart in my life. For me, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Or an Iron Man, I guess, in Sam's word. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, before we wrap up, is there any closing thoughts that you wanna you wanna say? Yeah. Look, thank you for having me on, and thank you for and good luck with your uh, New England Film Festival. I'm sure it's going to grow incredibly well. It was a real honor to be in the inaugural, and I'm looking forward to coming back into the next next year's festival with maybe the next thing that we're doing that would be a yeah yeah well submissions start in january 1st so i i would love you know we're we're in contact um so i would love to see what you're making and uh, what you've what you've produced 
Absolutely. I think it'll probably be the year after because I'm finishing in March. So it still take a long time. Well, Simon, thank you so much for taking the time, kind of accommodating because you are an eight hour difference. You're in Sydney. So again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. I'm sure you're extremely busy to talk with me and to talk with us. It's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Of course.